while we were singing, I thought to myself, like, how did I end up where I am? It's like, this is amazing how your life flows in, in, in the way. And it's just, it's like, I am here worshiping with other people in a community that I like, sitting by my family. And it's, I loved it. It's wonderful. Do, do things strike you like that? Yeah. It just like hits you. Like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. But hi, I'm Ed Pavlik. I am an elder here at uh, Riverwood, and I'm going to be teaching uh, through uh, some passages today on um, Bountiful. I hope you're having a wonderful morning. I certainly am. And uh, yeah, so let's get right to it. Uh, as Pastor Aaron has indicated previously, this has, is now, and will continue to be a hard teaching for most. Uh, I am one who enjoys uh, intellectual and moral challenges. I like a good uh, poke to the chest, so to speak. And I'm told that some of you do not. Um, but maybe, just maybe, this is the kind of challenge that you need, an attainable challenge, completely realistic attainable challenge. Our passage today, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, is about reaping and sowing, giving. But giving or sowing, what, you might ask? Well, there's always uh, money. I think this is a straightforward one for most. But as it is taught here at Riverwood, the, there is the giving of your entire fist. You heard Aaron already say that this morning. Your finances influence skills and time. Um, have you ever heard it said that uh, money is the easiest thing that you can give? Now, in my own experience, uh, when I really think about it, I, I, I parse through the categories of importance in my life, it seems to me that, that it really is the easiest thing that I can give. Um, it is what we offer up when all else seems more untouchable than it should. Uh, while I read uh, the single verse that we're about to teach on today, I would like uh, you to have this in your mind, this idea of untouchable areas in your own life. Uh, as Aaron, again, had taught on in, in previous weeks, I want you to ask God how he can show you that he can make amazing use of these areas in your life and in ways that you are currently, perhaps, not able to understand. Uh, so pray with me, please. Uh, Father, we are thankful to be gathered here together today to listen to uplift and bold and rebuke, uh, provide uh, clarity, coherence, and understanding of your scripture that we would work through this together. You'd set it on people's hearts that if they don't understand or they have a problem with something, that you would reach down into them, Lord, and pull out that question, embolden them to ask, to speak. Thank you, Father, for your word and how it bleeds into every part of our lives, even the untouchable ones. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you'd like to open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. A second to get there. It's really short. It's really short. But I'm going to talk for a long time, even though it's really short. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's pretty short, right? Yeah. So, way in the left part of the Bible, there is a short explanation of how the material and the means uh, to build the tabernacle are gathered. Some of you probably know the story, uh, but some of you don't. So I'm going to read it. So I want you to go all the way back over to the left. Uh, follow along with me in Exodus 25, 1 through 9. 
Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, and you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, and asiya wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So God tells Moses to take an offering, but noting the wording in in verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly. With his heart you shall take my offering. God says to take up this offering, Moses speaks to the people, and considering a directive from God through Moses himself, a collection for the construction of a place for God is taken so that he can be among his people in the way that he ordained for that time. So I want you to move to the right in the book for a little bit and go to First Chronicles 29, 1 through 9. You like how it's both 1 through 9? I thought that was, I mean, it's not profound, but I like how things line up like that, right? So First Chronicles 29, 1 through 9. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold and of gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then leaders of the fathers the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord and to the hand of Jael the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. So again, there's a great collection. It's taken up, the people give, a bountiful harvest is reaped, and in the collection for construction, what we see here is what I am certain of, a great wonder of that time, Solomon's temple. You see two passages with people And think who they are. They don't have much. But they gather for themselves over time, preparing for something in the future to come. God knows where they're going and what they're going to do, how he's going to glorify himself in this thing. And they take up the collection and people give. They give bountifully. And they reap bountifully in the beauty of what they have constructed. 
The Bible is a coherent, cumulative work, all pointing to Christ. It is no wonder that we find consistency in its pages, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There are solid connections in Scripture. What we need to go is look for them. What we read in the Old Testament is what we see these people accomplish with their giving is a feat, to say the least. Offering freely to exalt the Lord God. Now turn back to Second Corinthians, Reaping and Sowing, chapter 9, verse 6. In Scripture, we can often see the agrarian principle. This comparison with farming, and being in Iowa, at least, I will assume that you are aware that farming is a thing at all. So you can just walk out the door. You can see it. The Apostle Paul applies this in his writing directly to Christian, sorry, directly to Christian giving. The amount of seed one spreads directly relates to the amount of harvest they will have. This seems very simple. I don't want to move from that. I'll move away from that too quickly. But when reading this, as our Old Testament reading saw immense harvest from immense sowing, but I immediately saw a uh, like a logical statement here. And if this, then that. Um, maybe you see it too. If you spend any time with me, uh, you'll know that I uh, like logic problems and being challenged with them myself. But finding uh, fallacious logic in others' actions and speeches is, is a kind of uh, hobby of mine. I don't recommend, if you enjoy logic problems and finding fallacious logic in others, that you point it out ever at all in social situations. Don't do that. Um, when I first fell in love with it, I was like, that's a, I haven't printed out of my office window a list of logical fallacies. And I'll make it immediately like, that's a fallacy. And it doesn't go well for me. And I just sit quietly. Um, but here in verse six, you say a classic conditional statement, an if then scenario. And if you enjoy logic, like me, you might know that logic problems are rendered fallacious if either the premise, the first bit, or the conclusion, the second bit is false. And you can test that. Um, but what do we read here? So look again, verse six. Let's read it. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Do you see it? If the Christian sows bountifully, then they will reap bountifully. We just heard a true conditional statement. Now couple that with the understanding that what God says is inherently true. Couple that with what we read back in the Old Testament. Think on that. There's no twisting out of it. There's really this straightforward definition Abundance in God's defined blessing. This comes to the bountiful sower and to the sparing sower. Now, this is a part that I don't want to say wrong. So hear, hear me well. And if you are mishearing it or think you misunderstand it, go back and read it. Ask questions. Talk to a friend. Talk to your pastor. Seek out Aaron uh, or me, any elder here at Riverwood, and ask the questions. But in speaking on this verse, uh, there's not a negative condemning tone to it. Just read it plainly. Hear that correctly. The verse clearly states that you will take in a measure greater than you let out, according to the amount you gave initially. It is just as we read earlier, the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. No personal attacks. No mention of sin. A simple, true, conditional observation. Now, if we look forward a bit into verse 7, which we're not going to dive into, but you will read in the rest of this the condition of the willing giver, uh, which we'll read uh, in Exodus and Chronicles, if you go back, and a cheerful giver. I would challenge you to keep that in mind, as Aaron is going to teach on this in the next couple of weeks in the Syrian series. Um, it all fits very well together, and I like how things nest like that. Uh, so teaching on this in some form uh, for some people also will bring up the 10% tithing concept. You guys have heard of that, right? We've talked about that in the past. Uh, 
on thinking through, uh, studying on, and talking over this passage in the past week, uh, the sowing and reaping concept brought the percentage-based tithing uh, to a new level of understanding. For me. Maybe not a new level, just something kind of dawned on me. Uh, financial giving is a con- uh, contra- controversy, a controversy for some, and so easy for others. People give freely of their own pockets and think nothing of it. But they are immovable in terms of time, compartmentalizing their lives, declaring them, like we said earlier, untouchable, the opening lines of today's sermon. If you desire to be the one who reaps bountifully, but are torn, and not discerning what to give and how much, or all that you hear or are told seems to you that uh, what you do isn't enough, then, then hear this. That 10% isn't the burden of giving that people make it seem to be. It is a mercy. I am convinced of this. A simple clarifying line for those who need to come ready but don't have a path forward. Remember just how the sower is not condemned in their amount. They will just reap less. Upon seeing your reaping, if you want to increase your harvest and multiply it bountifully, God gives a sliding scale for you to carry upwards in times of feast and back with you in times of famine. The tithe as a practice is for you. It's for you, an offering to him, like in Exodus, like in Chronicles. That makes me think of the, the Sabbath, like that big rebuke. It's for you. The tithe is for you. Building out scripture coverage of sowing and reaping, we also see that uh, textual connections are being made here. As with many uh, New Testament lessons, there are Old Testament connections, like the ones we first read in Exodus and Chronicles. The notes on any study Bible that you may own would point to several. And I want to read them now to really belabor the point of how simple this is. And you can look it up on your own later. I encourage you to do so. So I'm going to turn back to Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right. But it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Okay? Coherent so far. Luke 6.38. So we'll go to Luke. Chapter 6. Verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And then Galatians 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So two more points and I'll finish this up. In our family, in terms of how we approach our engagement uh, with Christ's church, I don't want to lose ground. I want to ratchet things forward for as uncomfortable as it might be for us. Even if it's just a little, like I just keep stepping forward. But because this affects our testimony, just before our reading today in 2 Corinthians, back in 6, 7... You can look. I didn't write it down. I was just going to do it from memory. (laughs) Uh, Paul is writing, and he mentions something. He mentions 
what the Macedonians think. My first reaction is, what? He's concerned with what other people are going to think. Well, think about what? Your life is a lived testimony. Your willingness to abide in his written instruction is evidence of the rebirth some of you have claimed. I just had the opportunity this past week to share in my own office what an outworking of belief does to the actions of the person and to point out the occurrences of some people who have come through my door looking for answers. Um, I do this in a place where I have not stood in front of a formation or a group of people and spent any time declaring my obedience to Christ. I have not done that there. And yet this still happens to me. A day lived in bountiful sowing is one spent pouring during its season and at the right time. That's wisdom and discernment. Into people, whenever they are near, let your actions, words, demeanor reflect your belief in Christ. How they see your fist in action, your finances, influence, skills, and time matters. Sow and reap in a way that is a claim to boasting in Christ. That's how you live. Life alongside one another. And last, I want to end with a warning. End with Christ. There are some teachers in the world that will use these simple concepts and they will manipulate them. Like it has been said from this very stage before, the best lies contain little bits of truth. And there are some especially insidious ones that can come out of a plain message in regard to the harvest that God will bless. These messages are used to bring focus to your earthly possession for the sake of that person and their individual glory. Remember again back in that Exodus passage. God says, bring me my offering. It was all his in the first place. People easily slip into lives where their weak little hands remain clenched lifelong or on their own health and wealth so closed that the sowing our hands are meant to be engaged in is cut off, closed off. The acquisition of wealth becomes the aim. And the blessing that God intends to magnify himself in you and your good, obedient work becomes marred, distorted. It devolves into vain idolatry. So go back to Proverbs one more time. Same chapter, 11. And look at verse 28, just after what we read. He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. Take Paul's advice. It's as true today as it was then. And it has been for all of time. That is the nature of the word, our Lord Jesus Christ. In life, you may hear that people are helped by being told what they can't do. Sorry, people aren't helped by being told what they can't do. You have to lead with some type of permissive language or enabling comment. I've heard that in, in movies and TVs over the years in different readings and magazines and books. Don't do that. Stay away from this. Don't look. Don't touch. I disagree with that. And God's word does as well. It is a great lie. People convulse when given negative prohibitions. And if you are poked in the chest by all the don'ts, which I will admit, I don't understand, then see this straightforward instruction as a point of special merciful liberation. No hand-wringing about a court of action, course of action. Take this explicit mercy Go out into the world emboldened by your Lord and how he says you can reap a bountiful harvest for him with your finances, influence, skills, and time. Great and beautiful things 
come when God's people sow and reap bountifully together. So with that, pray with me, please. Father, if there's a person here who is bothered by this, or if I said something in a crass or unconvincing way, help us, Lord, to see the truth that is in your word, that I would get out of the way, that my fumbling words wouldn't be something that causes misstep in others. Help us, Lord, to see the nature of the truth that you've given for us, to seek understanding and wisdom daily, to discern properly, to live out our lives in a way that is a testimony to others. Thank you, Father, for this. I ask all of these things in the name of my Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.